Welcome to the San Diego Psychological Association's podcast, Diving Into Healing. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Carcel. This podcast has been developed with the intent to inform and educate the general public and providers and should not be relied upon for any other purpose. The content, views, and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and not those of the San Diego Psychological Association. On today's show, we will be discussing attachment styles and how attachment influences our lives. I'm happy to introduce our expert and guest, Dr. Melissa Toomey. Welcome, Melissa, and thank you so much for being on the show. Hi, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. You and I have a history. We went to grad school together, so I'm so happy to talk to you. I know. It it feels like a long time ago, and it kind of was. So yeah, here we are. Here we are. Yes, I know we're going to age ourselves a little bit, but that's fine. (laughs) So I love attachment. This is one of those topics that I feel like needs to be talked about more. And it's, for me, I don't feel like it is. It's one of these things that's discussed more in psychology circles, but you don't hear attachment in the mainstream. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think in part, because I agree with you, it's such a helpful map when we're thinking about relationships of any kind, and why we do the things we do. And sometimes having that map, we can be like, oh, it's not just me, it's for a really good reason, right? But I will say, you know, thanks to Gen Z, I am starting to hear more of it on like TikTok and Instagram, which makes me really happy because I think there is a part that feels really intuitive to people. Yes, I agree. Definitely the newer generations. And I'm happy to hear that we're seeing it more in the social media aspect. Um, But you know, before we jump in, I think it's important that we talk about what is attachment and describing basic attachment styles and where they came from. Do you mind answering that? Yeah. For sure. So it all started when, well, and probably all this attachment stuff has existed as long as we have been humans, right? But attachment theory and the attachment styles really started back in the 1950s. Um, John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth uh, basically had some children and some mothers. And what they did was they were watching the child in a room, would send the mother out of the room, and then bring mom back in, slash introduce a a stranger at times. And like, what would these children do, right? So they had a various amount of just like different responses, right? And then they would also watch like, how did the mothers interact with these children? Like, how tuned in to them? How responsive were they? So they watched all this. And basically, what sifted out was four different attachment styles of what happened both internally and externally for these children. And now we think about for adults, uh, when all this was happening. Right. And I think it'd be good to talk about those attachment styles. And and the research in this has usually been conducted with children and caregivers, right? Primary parents or primary attachment styles. Um, So can we describe those a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So what we know is there's basically four different types. So we've got secure attachments. So these are folks that 
they just navigate relationships really well. They have boundaries that are flexible enough where like, yes, they can set boundaries when they need to, um, but also let folks in. They they find it easy to trust people in healthy relationships. And they often had caregivers that were responsive to them, right? Primary caregiver was like, notice what was happening with them, provided a helpful response. So they learned to both really regulate internally and be like, okay, I know my people are here, I can do my thing. Um, and also exist in that external space with other people just interacting well. So that's one. And that's sort of what we think about as, you know, a really healthy attachment style. But as we'll talk about this more, we can see that actually all of these are healthy within a given system, right? So that's one. The second one is avoidant attachment, right? So these folks have a harder time connecting. They tend to keep intimacy at arm's length. We might think about them as like commitment phobes. Um, But sometimes the more things get close, the more internally they're kind of be like, oh, this is not safe. I've got to do something to back away from this person. And typically we found that their caregivers shut them down if they had a big emotional response or just kind of weren't around. So these people kind of really learned how to function like in a hyper independent way. So once again, very adaptive for growing up in that environment. But then when we're like, well, maybe we want to be adults and get married or be in relationship, then that starts to feel trickier. Right. The third one is ambivalent or anxious attachment. So these are folks who maybe really, really want that closeness, but they also really fear that that person might leave or might abandon them. So they're kind of constantly perseverating on like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Like, can I predict this? I got to try to keep this person close because if I don't, they're just not going to stick around. They won't be there. And typically we find that growing up, maybe these people had really unpredictable caregivers, right? So so folks that were there sometimes, but then were totally absent others or just had really um, unhelpful responses. So it was really hard for them to know who was going to show up, like hence the anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the fourth attachment style is a disorganized attachment style. So this we tend to see folks that have a really difficult time, significantly difficult time regulating kind of their internal processes. They also have a really difficult time connecting with others um, because it feels like potentially very dangerous for them, right? So we we might see them really pop up and, and get very like hypervigilant and then dissociated another, another uh, turn. And Typically, these folks grew up in an environment um, that was really scary, maybe was highly abusive, right? So these huge ranges that they have in the fear, again, adaptive in that environment, um, but but can be tricky to navigate. Exactly. And I like that um, you started with the secure attachment because that's what we think of when we think of healthy relationships. There was a lot of security in the dynamic between the caregiver and the child. And that kind of translates into adulthood, into uh, other relationships, whether it's interpersonal or romantic. And then the last three or the three that you spoke about being insecure attachments, right, where they're not secure, they don't have that level of safety and each of them having their own reasonings for 
for that. Um, and a lot of it based in trauma, which is really difficult. And I, I'm also um, glad that you brought up that, you know, these are studies in the past that have been done related to childhood. But I'm really grateful for the current research coming in. It, it makes me think of Amir Levine, Dr. Levine, who um, came out with a book called Attached and translates this into adulthood and how attachment really significantly impacts our current relationships. It's not just something we see in childhood. Do you agree with that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and the nice thing, the like good news in all of this is like our attachment styles are absolutely fluid. Like we all have that neuroplasticity, right? And like butchering the pronunciation of that word. But yes, they they do follow us into adulthood. And part of what's powerful about therapy or, or just growing as a person is to be able to have this insight of like, okay, this is how I have landed where I'm at. And like, let me use this knowledge to navigate now that I have more choice as an adult, right, than I did as a child. How am I going to want to navigate these relationships in adulthood now that I have some choice? And it and it's wild. There's a bunch of research on like neurobiology of like what happens internally with folks as far as like cortisol levels and um, all those different responses that we can now track. Um that absolutely mm-hmm. show up for adults. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Uh, we're so fortunate to have now the methods on how to see people's responses occur when they're engaged in something that's triggering for them. So for example, an anxious somebody who has an anxious attachment might have this vacillation of back and forth, but they, you can also see parts of the brain that are actually activating because of this. There's a fear response or an anxious response that's occurring. And, and yes, you're right, neuroplasticity. I think that is the most important part of this discussion in my opinion, is that even though we may have an insecure attachment style, all styles are able to be adaptable and adaptive. And can you talk to that a little bit? I think that's actually something that a lot of people might be interested in because if we think, oh my gosh, I'm I'm anxious in my relationships or I do avoid, I don't want to get close because I'm scared mm-hmm. or more, you know, concerning the disorganized where I don't feel safe. There's a lot of trauma in the history. People can feel really upset or, or down that they can't change, but they can. Is that right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's like, okay, Melissa, all this is well and good. But like, what am I supposed to do with this? Right. And I think for if we think about kind of each of those three more insecure attachment styles, they each have kind of their own steps to take, right? So if we're thinking about avoidant, which I think part of that research with folks that are avoidant, it's like you, you see somebody that's anxiously attached and like their heart rate increases, like their cortisol levels are high. That also occurs with avoidantly attached people, like their cortisol levels are just as spiked. You just can't tell. But mm-hmm. I digress a little bit. But going back to uh, anxiously attached or no, we're starting with avoidant, going back to avoidant folks, right? So their main task is to recognize when somebody is coming towards them that maybe they do have that response to step away, right? And to be able to start to just notice that and increase their tolerance, right? And we're talking about with safe people, but like, can I sit with that? And can I take a step towards? That's kind of 
their key thing. Can I take a step towards and increase my tolerance of that, right? Lots of lots of hope in that message, right? We can take these tiny steps. And the more we do that, the more habituated we get to them, right? And then with anxious folks, it's all about, I think, building that trust and also being able to internally self-soothe, right? Because if we're like, oh my God, oh my God, like I need this person to text me back and like we're blowing them up, then we're just like reinforcing this cycle because they're going to be like, oh, whoa, that's way too much, right? And then we end up in the same problem. So for these folks, it's almost like, can I sit with some of this discomfort? Can I self-soothe myself? Can I wait for that person to meet me halfway, right? And so that's really their task. And for somebody that's disorganized, it's it's really about almost doing both those things. But I would say doing a lot of steps uh, to understand the internal process and like self-soothing. So like any grounding skills, DBT skills, things like that, that are going to help that person's nervous system start to regu- regulate so that if somebody does step away or somebody does step towards, it doesn't feel quite as big as as far as a response. And, and these are all skills we can learn. And they all just take practice because when it comes to interpersonal stuff, we have to show ourselves, right? We can't just tell ourselves. We all know that, right? We're like, I know this, but it's really through continued experience that it lets our body settle into this new learning. Absolutely. Yes, I completely agree. And I think it's important for all of us to understand our attachment styles. How do you relate to people about understanding their own attachment and how that can help in relationships? Yeah. So I think there's just a lot of really good literature out there. Um, There's books. You mentioned one. Um, I also love The Power of Attachment by Diane Heller. Yeah, Diane Heller. Um, And then there's Wired for Love. So there's a lot of good literature out there. There's even some cool like um, little quizzes you can take for yourself. And I think what's important to know is that these are not all or nothing categories, right? You might notice that you're a mix of all of them, but maybe you have a more predominant style and that's totally normal. You also might notice that, you know, oh, I can be really secure with with some people. And then these other people, I start getting maybe a little more anxiously attached. And sometimes that doesn't actually mean you're anxiously attached. That's actually something to notice. So I think that what's most helpful is when people go into this to kind of take this knowledge in broad terms, use it um, so that it's adaptive. It's it's not one size fits all. But like we talked about, it can be a really helpful map. Right. Yes, it can. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking a little bit about also um, populations of diverse or diverse populations, I should say, and different ethnicities and culture. How can attachment style be introduced or discussed? And how is this applied to diverse populations? Yeah, it's a really good question. Because, you know, these are Western concepts, right? And I think we need to acknowledge that, that they, they are one map, they're not the only map. Um, and when they've done cross-cultural studies, cause like this has been the thing about attachment theory of like, oh, it's this universal concept cause we're all human and we all are in relationship, which is 
very true, but like how universal, right? So they've done studies um, in Japan and Puerto Rico and these different places. And what they find is there are slight differences in this theory that like when they sort of in the States uh, looked at like percentages of secured and uh, anxious and avoidant, those percentages don't stack up exactly the same in other populations, which make you go, okay, there, there are some differences. And really what the literature does say about that is we need to be understanding these pieces from that culture, right? So if we're talking about caregiver responsiveness, how does that look in that culture? And let's measure it in that way. Or what does it mean to be uh, securely attached? Because in the States, when we were studying it, we looked like, hey, is this person independent enough to kind of go off and do their own thing? Which in other cultures, that's not necessarily what we're looking at. They're more collectivistic. So I think that all of that are important pieces to keep track of and know that, you know, hopefully this is a flexible map that people can use to like support them um, and things like that. But there's a lot of intricacies. Yes. And I'm glad you brought that up because it's very important that we, either if there's clinicians listening or people who are part of a diverse population, that we look at this from an idiosyncratic lens, making sure that the person who's coming in holistically, we're looking at this individual, their background, their culture, how they, where they were raised, right? All of these things matter when it comes to attachment and how perception of relationships are viewed. And I think that's very important. And, you know, when we think about marginalized um, societies, it's also barriers to treatment, you know, coming in and talking about these things that can be difficult for people who don't have the opportunity or the resources or the geographical opportunity to talk to someone who has the expertise here. So it, I'm glad we're talking about it to try to offer some resources as well, but giving a general description of what attachment is and how it impacts us because it really does. And I, I think I, I want to broaden this conversation a little bit because so many of us have had relationships or maybe currently in a relationship that we feel anxious or we feel avoidant, like we're pushing them away and, and uh, just not feeling like I can trust um, or there's safety. You know, there's just a trauma and safety in the history and that can be really hard to navigate. What recommendations do you have for people who may be listening who really are, you know, trying to figure out their own attachment styles and you know, they're just kind of starting out. Yeah. Well, you know, like, welcome to being human. We're all in it together. It It is not a simple thing. It is so complex. And like, what we also just tend to see, you know, from a clinical standpoint, is that we often pair up with somebody who might be complementary in some way to our attachment style, right? So yes, do we often see the anxious, ambivalent person paired up with somebody who's maybe slightly more avoidant, right? Because it's like a puzzle piece. Um, that person wants to pursue, pursue. The avoidant person wants to, you know, head out the door a little bit um, because they're both in a in in a sort of beautiful way. It's like that works and then it doesn't, right? Because it is sort of magnifying both of their worst fears, 
right? The avoidant feels smothered. Uh, the person that is anxious is like, oh my God, why are you, why are you taking steps away from me? This feels so terrifying. So say that's like a common pattern that we see. Um, both of those people would sort of need to acknowledge that and be like, okay, there's, there's nothing wrong with us, right? These are just how we learn to navigate the world growing up, which was super helpful at the time. But hey, maybe we need to make different choices now. So it's like, okay, what happens for me? And what do I need in those moments where I get triggered um, with someone with anxious attachment, self-soothe, you know, just let yourself kind of sit with that. Somebody that's avoidance, like, okay, wow, I am actually getting triggered by this, which would be a, a good realization. And then can I take a step towards? And then also, I think it's helpful when we're thinking about who are we in relationship with, right? And ideally, we can all find those people in our lives that maybe are securely attached, right? I, I love watching securely attached couples. And I'm just like, oh, take take that piece of advice home, right? So it's also when we're thinking about who to be in relationship with, maybe we want to choose people that are more securely attached so that it's not this huge um, sort of space that we're trying to cross. Um, but those are some of the tips. Absolutely. Yes. And I wanted to say and add a little bit, um, when it comes to attachment and it comes to anxious avoidant or disorganized or these insecure attachment styles, it helps sometimes to talk to someone. So whether it's a professional or, you know, mm -hmm. if you, if you need some guidance, because this can get complex, we so complex. so complex, right? There's, there's so much underneath the surface, so to speak, yeah. when we think of attachment and we think of, you know, vulnerability, I think a little bit of Brene Brown, when we talk about this, having the ability to be vulnerable, and that can be really scary for people who have had insecure attachments in their childhood and trauma and then just say, okay, I'm, I'm willing to open up and I'm willing to lean in. That's really hard to do because if we don't have that history of trust, right, it can be really difficult. So I think um, I just wanted to add that it, it does help to talk to someone who has this expertise, whether it's a mental health professional or someone that you trust that has the background. I would caution that this is a um, it is a research founded topic. So we want to make sure that we're seeking out um, advice and information from someone who actually has that information of research. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it does get complex. Yeah, but but I love that point, right? Because I do think like reading the books and like educating yourself is so helpful. But you're 100% right that any sort of interpersonal trauma that we've all had is also healed in relationship, which is like so ironic, right? Because you're like the things that hurt me. Now I also have to be in that because it's going to heal me. But that's how it works, right? Because we really have to show ourselves that like, no, I, I can trust people. And like you're saying, it's, you know, we have to really honor the sort of trauma that may have caused some damage. And we really have to be mindful about doing that work with safe people, right? Because if we're just like, oh, cool, I'm going to go and be in relationship and I'm going to lean in. Well, if you're leaning in with somebody that's not safe, right, then it is going to be a hurtful outcome. And, and that also is sort of, um, you know, a PSA of like, 
I don't want folks listening to this being like, oh, I'm just I'm just anxiously attached. That's why all this is happening in relationship. It's not always that, right? There's sometimes really good reasons or sometimes there are unsafe people and that's exactly why you feel that way. So yes, healing this with people you trust and professionals is super important. Yes. And also attachment styles. I think it's important for people who are listening to who are unfamiliar with this and, and are hearing this for the first time and wondering, like you said, oh my gosh, yes, I get anxious in relationships or I am avoidant or I have this disorganized uh, attachment style. Oh my God, I'm stuck. I, I want to be very clear, like we were saying earlier, attachment styles change, don't they? We can shift in mm-hmm. them. Is that correct? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent, right? And sometimes I think about it because I think, you know, these interpersonal pieces and how we show up, how we understand each other, those are typically formed over years, right? If we think about all our childhoods and like how long those were, when we start to sometimes get frustrated of like, oh, I'm doing this thing again and, and I'm frustrated and I feel stuck, you know, sometimes by thinking about like, okay, it has taken some time for these things to form. And I give myself permission to have enough time to heal, right? Because the more we allow that, and the more we just start taking these baby steps, actually, the greater the process or progress, because we then don't just get totally bogged down by being like, I need to change my whole life, right? And then feeling even more stuck. Right. Right. And that, yeah, perpetuating a very challenging cycle, because if we think that, oh, my gosh, this is who I am, this is my identity, and we feel stuck in that, um, it'll perpetuate a negative self-concept, and it just kind of spirals, and it attracts, you know, the type of people that wouldn't be safe, right? So um, I think it's important just to to continue to, to reiterate that we can change this, we can heal this. And we just by recognizing what attachment is, is a great first step. You know, knowledge and awareness is a great first step in anything. And then navigating it through, like you said, literature, research, and then if needed, which I highly recommend if there are patterns of dysfunction in relationships, um, talking to a professional or someone with safety that has the knowledge to help guide here. So I think that's really important. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think with this knowledge of attachment styles, probably one of my favorite parts is like all of these were adaptive at one time, right? They were your best option in that environment growing up. Because think about that. If you had a caregiver that was super dismissive, um, was really not around, do you think it would have been the wise choice to be like, oh, I'm just going to go to you for everything and I'm going to keep trying, right? No, you're going to be more avoidant. You're going to be like, I'm going to learn how to take care of myself. Um, So with that, my hope is that there's a lot of compassion for like, actually, these were my best choices at one time. And now that I have safer people in my life or people that just I get to pick, now I can try on these other ways of being um, that are ultimately going to get folks what they often want, which is connection. Yeah. And also, um, when you were saying that, I love that you use the word compassion. I think it's important to highlight that people who have insecure attachments and who have not had that safety in relationships at a young age can often internalize that experience as something that they feel like they did wrong 
or something that it must be me, you know, I'm the one who's causing these issues. And in reality, that's not the case. In reality, there's a lot to peel apart there and a lot to discover. And we need to do that in a compassionate way. So I'm so glad you said that because a lot of times, uh, I'm sure you've seen this too, for folks that I talk about who have had the rough and difficult and traumatic childhood, it's so emotional. It's so hard. And there's so much that is internalized that's not meant or should be internalized. It's one of the few times I'll say the word should. Um, But yeah, I I think it's important to highlight that we need to be compassionate and that we are human and that just learning how to be in relationships is something we are not taught. Yes. (laughs) We are not educated. Isn't that ironic? Like all of us are in relationships from the minute we're born and nobody talks about it in this way until we're older. (laughs) I think it's changing. I think it's changing. Um, hopefully, fingers crossed. No. But definitely not in my education when I was a kid. So hopefully we're going to see a shift here. But I'm glad that we were opening up this discussion. And I'm curious, is there anything else that you think would be helpful for us to talk about, particularly with attachment that we haven't touched on? Um, I think we covered the big parts of like knowing your style, having that compassion, respecting where it came from. And then like, you know, welcoming to yourself to the club of being human and that these relationships are so intricate um, and they're often existing in this gray area. Um, so just by, you know, showing up and improving that relationship with yourself and then stepping into that connection with another person and having these tools that all can be really helpful. Yes. And thank you so much for this, Dr. Toomey. I'm very excited that you were here. I want to say that we'll add some resources for anyone who's interested in getting more information on attachment styles and the influences and impact of this on relationships. We'll go ahead and we'll post a couple of links um, to some resources. And uh, hopefully this will help people who are both clinicians and also anyone who would like more information. So really appreciate you coming on on the show. Melissa, I'm so happy to talk to you and I look forward to the next time. Yeah, same here. The information and advice offered is not intended to treat or diagnose and is not meant to replace any other professional consultation. If you'd like to know more about the San Diego Psychological Association, go to our website at sdpsych.org. That's sdpsych.org. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, take care of yourself and be well.